It is one of the most famous messages in literature. And because it doesn't actually get delivered, it is also one of the saddest. Romeo and Juliet are in love, desperately in love. In fact, secretly they've married, but their love seems doomed. Their families are at war. Romeo is on the run. And Juliet's parents insist that she marries someone else. And so there's a plan. Juliet will take a special potion that will make her seem to be dead. Her grieving parents will take her to the cemetery, leave her in a tomb. And 72 hours later, she'll wake up. By this time, Romeo will have arrived. The couple will embrace and they'll ride off and live happily ever after. However, it all goes wrong, doesn't it? It all turns on Romeo receiving the message so that he actually understands the plan. And so the message is given to a priest. But because of an outbreak of the plague, the priest can't deliver it. Romeo hears news that Juliet is dead. He arrives at the tomb. He sees what he thinks is her body. He kills himself. She wakes up and finds his body. She kills herself. And the most famous love story in history reaches its tragic end. Imagine if the priest had actually delivered the message and Romeo actually understood the plan. He would have waited for her to wake up and it would have been a happy ending. And the play would have absolutely bombed. And none of us would have ever heard of Romeo and Juliet. Now this week, Open Week, we remember another love story, which truly is the greatest love story ever told. It's also about a bride and a groom, although in this case it's actually the groom who drinks from the cup. He drinks it out of love for his bride. He drinks it knowing that it will take him to a tomb but knowing also and earnestly desiring that beyond that tomb, he will be reunited with her. This open week, we remember the death of Jesus. And his story truly is the greatest story ever told, the greatest love story ever told. And it's actually your story and my story. It's a story not merely written in the pages of a book, but written in human lives, written in history, our personal history. This story is about Jesus, our groom, and his love for us. And it involves a message which must reach us and beyond us must reach others for the plan to work, for all of us to be reunited with him. And if the message doesn't arrive, then the story has a tragic end. Now, my purpose this morning is to encourage you to take it on, to take on the love and the life that Jesus gives by taking it in and then actually taking it out to do what the priest did not do in Romeo and Juliet, passing on the message so the plan works. 
So it's a year now since that whole, you know, furor, was it? I don't know what it was about the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's film. The most stinging criticism that I ever heard about the film actually came from a cardinal in Rome. He said, the film doesn't tell us why he was tortured. It is one-dimensional and I was glad when it was over. It doesn't tell us why he was tortured. I reckon 2,000 years after the death of Christ, most people still do not understand. And not having heard why Jesus went to the tomb, like Romeo and Juliet, their lives are heading for a tragic end. And so it's vital that we, of all people, do understand and then having understood the message that we pass it on. Well, I've got two points this morning. You can see them there on the outline. Take it in and take it out. I should have explained to Jeff that my first point's a long point and my second point's very small. He's given it the same amount of room to each. But anyway, it's a long point and then a short point. First of all, take it in. The message of the cross is explained, of course, in a number of places in the Bible. But this morning it's actually passed on to us by one of Jesus' closest friends. The Apostle John, who, as we know, spent years with Jesus. And during that time, Jesus explained why he'd come. And now in a letter to the early church, he passes this truth on to us. He pleads with us to take it in. And he's thinking particularly in the section we read this morning of the love involved. He wants to encourage the church to be a loving church. And so he reminds them of the love of God. We should receive also this message of love. Well, here it is in 1 John 4 verses 9 and 10. This is what John says. Really, these are the two two verses I'm preaching on this morning. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so first of all, notice that this is a message of love. The cross is a love story. They show God's love, verse 9. They are God's love, verse 10. Sometimes it's easy to look out on the world and think that God doesn't love. Look what's happening in my life. God doesn't care. But the cross proves that he does. A number of years ago, a man lay dying and his children were actually called to his bedside. They gathered at his side. He was failing fast. But slowly and ever more weakly, he was able to speak to the kids, to his oldest son, Bill, I love you. I always have. His second child, Beck, I love you, I always have. His third child, Sam, I love you. But then before he could get to the baby of the family, the fourth child, he became too frail. He couldn't go on. And he actually died without saying the words. When that young woman put that together with some of the things that had happened in her life, some of the things that Dad had done in the previous 20 years, she actually decided her father didn't love her. And that awful realisation had a devastating impact on her life. 
Many people are unaware of the love of God. They look out on the world, they see what seems to be chaos and brutality, and they see something like that in their own lives. And they conclude that God doesn't care. Whereas all the time, he has spoken. He has said the words. He said it in the cross. He said it through sending his son. That young woman carried the hurt of her father's lack of love for many years until finally she actually got some help from someone to reflect on her life and to think about it more clearly. And she came to see that actually her father had loved her. But even better, she came to see that God loved her. John tells us that God sent Jesus into the world as an act of love. And that's what we're here to talk about this week. This open week, I reckon it's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, Thank you so much for allowing us to be here with you because we've got the greatest message in the world. It's such a privilege to be able to spend this time with you, sending that message out. In fact, I reckon this is the best fun week of the year for a lecturer at Bible College, the week of mission, the week of open week. The supreme act of love. God sending Jesus into the world. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. That's how John puts it. In other words, God loved an unloving world. He loved us all. He sent Jesus into the world as a sacrifice. And the word John uses here is a difficult word. And I don't usually use Greek words in sermons, but I'm going to use one today. Hilasmos. Hilasmos. It's an interesting word. People have had trouble translating this word. And in different English translations, you'll find different attempts. The word propitiation. But honestly, does that help? Does that actually explain anything? The word expiation. Again, we're none the wiser. The NIV, I think most helpfully, says atoning sacrifice. Atoning sacrifice. And that's not bad. If there was ever a word that was potent with theological meaning. It's this word, hilasmos. In the Old Testament, there was a whole sacrificial system. There was a system for hilasmos. But most of us don't know that much about the Old Testament, and we don't know the word. But we do understand the concept all right. We understand the concept. Ladies, have you ever made an appointment to meet someone down the street? Maybe you're going to have lunch with a friend. And in retrospect, you realise that this was a stupid place to arrange to meet. Because when they don't turn up, you have to stand for an hour in the sun. Finally, they arrive, shame-faced, of course, holding a box of chocolates or perhaps a bunch of flowers. Whatever the reason they're late, it's because of them. And they know they're in the wrong and they suspect you'll be angry. And they're right. And so on the way, they stop at a shop and buy a gift to try and make it up to you. And it helps. It makes you see that they care. Their hilasmos makes things better. A few years ago, I was living in Newtown and I was having my breakfast one morning and suddenly there's this huge bang of a car crash in the street. I go out and I see a courier van jammed between my car and the other side of the road. Okay, it's a very narrow street. There's just room for one line of parked cars and maybe at one car to squeeze through and then there's the actual the, the, the house on the other side. And this courier van has gone in and he's jammed between my car and one of the houses. 
And of course, there's the driver who has actually got out of the car or out of his truck through the window, looking sheepish and holding a hilasmos. Actually, it was a checkbook. He knew I'd be mad. Why wouldn't I be? He'd wrecked my car. And so he offered to pay for the repairs. He offered to make it up to me, what I'd lost, a new mudguard. And I took it, mainly because my car wasn't insured. And I thought that if I didn't take his cheque, I probably wouldn't get anything. A halasmos. A, a, a halasmos is a gift offered to appease someone who's angry, rightly angry. Offered to make things better because they've done you harm. And the halasmos, this sacrifice of atonement, consists of the amount required to compensate your loss. Anything less than full compensation only makes them madder still because they're making light of what you've been through. John tells us in 1 John 4, 9 and 10 that God is angry with us. And well, he might be. God looks out over his world and he sees terrible things. We see terrible things. People ignoring the environment, brutalising the environment. People ignoring each other, brutalising each other. People ignoring God. And even, in a sense, brutalising God. I have a brother in Canada, a twin brother, actually. He looks just like me. That's scary, isn't it? And I gather that Canadians don't like the United States, so my apologies to any Americans here this morning. He was telling me about the prison system in the USA, and Ian was very critical of it. Apparently, most prisons in the US are actually run by private corporations. Prisons are big business. And, of course, if you want to expand your business, you need more prisoners. And so the corporations actually hire people to lobby government to get tough on crime. Can you believe that? They want to encourage the courts to lock people up so that they can make money. Never underestimate the power of greed. Never underestimate your own ability to beat other people up. Not with your fists, maybe. We're civilised people after all. But maybe with your lifestyle, or your indifference, or your politics. And underlining, underlying all these things is mankind's attitude to God. Jesus taught that the world's in a mess because of our attitude to God, our indifference. So often we ignore him. So often, as John was telling us, we're independent. We turn our back on God and so justly, God should turn his back on us. That's the appropriate outcome. Appropriately, God should cut us off. As I came around the corner that morning and saw that van, that courier van, jammed up against my car, I also saw something else. I saw other students, my fellow students, pouring out onto the street from their houses. Okay? The poor truck driver is faced with this growing mass of people, young men, and, of course, he doesn't know that we all go to a Bible college. He, he just thinks that he's in an inner-city street. And I'm sure that had some influence on him getting out that checkbook. He thinks he's facing imminent judgment. We are in a world facing imminent judgment. The punishment for sin, the inevitable moment when God, angry as he should be, 
turns his back on us. But no, God sent Jesus into the world as a halasmos, a sacrifice of atonement. Just as we deserve from God that he turn his back on us, so God turned his back on Jesus. Jesus hangs on the cross. Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, he cries. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God abandoned Jesus. He forsook Jesus. He cut him off. That was the price. That was the compensation that needed to be paid. Atonement was made. Things were put right. And the message of the cross, if you can take it in, is that God loves you. It wasn't, he doesn't love you because of the cross. He loved you before the cross. That's why he sent his son. He was angry, even more angry. You know, I didn't know what angry, anger was until I had children. I didn't know what anger was. The people we love make us most angry. The message of the cross is that God sent his son to pay for your sin. Jesus is the gift who makes things right. Jesus is the gift of love. I was reading on the Amazon website about the way to a woman's heart. Amazon are actually selling a book called, quote, The Ultimate Collection of Fill-in-the-Blank Love Letters, unquote. Wow, that's romantic, isn't it? If she doesn't accuse you of being the most romantic, thoughtful man on the planet, after using my pre-written fill-in-the-blank love letters, you get your money back. $27.95, guys, and they're 100% guaranteed. But what a con! It's not your heart and soul laid bare in writing. They were written by someone else. But there is no con with Jesus Christ. No con with God. He wrote his letter personally, with a person, in the person of his son, giving his life. And so we know the heart of God. And so that's my first point this open week. This wonderful week, take in the message of the cross, this message of love. Accept the love, not just as a bare proposition, but accept the life it brings. That young woman who thought her father didn't care finally came to see that he did. And not only that, but came to see that the true father, God the Father, loved her. She was precious. She was cherished. And to know that changed her life. Not knowing that she was loved left her emotionally ruined. Knowing that she was loved healed that ruin. Which brings me to our second point this morning. Take it out. The critical thing is to know that you're loved. To reflect back on Romeo and Juliet again, to receive the message, to understand the plan, is so important. All important if you want to avoid tragedy in the end. And this raises the question. You having taken in the life that God gives, and I trust you have, I trust that Mr. and Mrs. and Mrs. the independents have become dependent on Christ. I hope that you've done that. And if you haven't, you should do today. 
But having done so, will you pass on the message of love to others? Will you take it out to others? Can you see that that is the only, that is the only loving thing? You know, sometimes we think that sharing the gospel with others is mean, it's judgmental, it's hard. Not at all. It is the only loving thing. It is not being bigoted. It is showing love. In the, inqu- in the inquiry into the waterfall train disaster, witnesses said they knew something was wrong when things seemed out of control, just before the derailment of the train. As thoughtful human beings, many of us are aware that our lives are barely under control, perhaps out of control. That is true of others too. Others out there, they may look as if they've got their act together, but deep down they know this isn't true. This week God offers to take back control of their train. And the question is, will we take the message to them? That's really the the question raised by the whole letter of 1 John. At the beginning of the letter, John says, this is the opening words, we proclaim the word of life. We proclaim eternal life who was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim it to you so that you may also have fellowship with us and with him. At the end of the letter, John says, we know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This morning, this loving week, as we invite friends to meetings. Now, I I thought what John said this morning was fantastic. John is going to be speaking at the men's dinner. Wouldn't you want your friends to hear him preach the gospel? Friday night, I think. This open week, we need to invite our friends. We need to continue to pray. And we need to bring people along next Sunday to church. We need to make sure the message gets through. Let's pray. Gracious God, this this morning we thank you so much that we here in this building have received the message of your loving Christ. And we pray for each other this morning that we might experience that love not just as a proposition in our minds, but know it deep in our hearts. That that conviction of your acceptance in Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, of of the glorious life with you as our friend that we have stretching before us, that this conviction will be deep, that we might know that we're cherished. And also that we might want to cherish others. Father, as people who celebrate your love, who just rejoice in your love, we pray that you would give us the strength, the good wits, to be able to to invite our friends, our family members, our neighbours. As the team, as the PTC team speaks to, to strangers during the week, that we might all point people to the God of love, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.